0: What up, everyone? It's another episode of Capturing the Games, the Game Within the Game podcast. Another episode is in the books, it's about to go down. I'm your co-host Desmond Jones. Joined to me, joined today with me is my host, my man Brady, and also my older brother Mark Jones. Today we got another special guest to today. It's um my man's Adrian Clark. Adrian, how's it going, man?
1: All good over here, man. How y'all doing, man? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. How about you, B?
0: Yeah, we're doing good here. Just
1: holding it down. That I is- see a lot. I see a lot of Michigan stuff in the background with Brady, man. I, <laughs> so I need to have this phone call. It's not. It's not gonna go good, man. It's not gonna go good. Brady, quick, put a put a mask around it. <laughs> oh, I'm
2: in
1: the wrong oh. part.
2: I'm down in Ohio right now, so that's where oh, I, live, so I don't oh. think they like it down here either. So they
1: can't like it down there. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> well, they definitely
2: don't. I already know they're hating. Hurry <laughs> now.
0: but yeah, Adrian. Man, keep do, do do us a favor, man. Tell the audience who you are and tell us, uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself so they can be familiar with who you are.
1: Man, I'm um, uh, Adrian Clark. I've, I think I wear so many hats these days, man. I don't know if I'm coming or going. Um, I started off as a sports agent, I was a um, MBPA certified. A couple of clients that I worked with, a a guy I grew up with, one of my best friends, C.J. Miles, who played 15 years in the I'm still trying to figure out if he's going to continue on or not. Um, Marvin Williams, who played for the Charlotte Hornets, is a guy that gave me an opportunity. And then also the late, great Andre Emmett, who um, was murdered a couple of years ago in Dallas. but. Andre was like one of the first guys to really give me a shot to to represent his career overseas, man. So. And I fought uh, while I was a boxer in college, amateur boxer, and most of the guys remember me from the amateur circuit. So when they saw I was representing NBA players, uh, a lot of guys asked me to manage them. So I ended up getting into boxing management, which is the same thing as a sports agent, essentially, it's just. We don't have um, all the guidelines and regulations that the other uh, associations may have. Um, I have five books under my belt, uh, trying to figure out if I'm gonna do six uh, sometime soon. Um, I'm getting into filmmaking, which wasn't something I was actually trying to do, is just uh, with everything that I guess I have going on, filmmaking is now on the horizon. And uh, the last thing is I created an initiative in 2016, to help educate and inform professional boxers on the nature of the boxing business. Um, as I said earlier, the sport of boxing, it's, um, it's like the wild, wild west. You can pretty much do whatever you want. Uh, the agents or the managers don't have to be licensed uh, through any type of regulations. Uh, you can put fighters or so the athletes under um, long-term agreements. It can be up to seven years. Sometimes it's longer than that taking up to 30 or 40% of, of their money. Uh, so I figured i put together an initiative called Protect Yourself at All Times to help educate the fighters on the nature of the business and help them not get taken advantage of contractually uh, or financially by um, uh, vultures that make up the sport of boxing. So uh, from, from author to filmmaker to creator, man, I, I, do, I do a lot, man. So I hope that that kind of nails the introduction part of things.
3: It definitely does, definitely paints as a picture. One of the things that you you know definitely mentioned right off the bat was your your involvement in boxing. So I'm gonna come out first round here, <laughs> hands blazing here. So with the the biggest question I always get, and I'm a box boxing, I've loved boxing since you know uh top rank boxing was on ESPN back in the day. So I got yes. I'm I am i I'm you know I'm a few years older than you. So I asked this question with all due respect. Some people say the sport of boxing is a dead sport. To that, you would say...
1: Absolutely not. Uh, If it was a dying sport, then um, Jake Paul wouldn't be fighting Floyd Mayweather making a couple million dollars, or um, it wouldn't be... There would be no interest. There would be no TV deals, or there would be no million-dollar paydays, multi-million-dollar paydays for these fighters or for these events if the sport was indeed dying. I think what people probably meant was when they brought that up, they probably were talking about the heavyweight division because boxing was so heavyweight rich with Mike Tyson, Larry Holmes, Evander Holyfield. So when those guys retired and kind of went away, division essentially did die because we didn't have a, a United States heavyweight that reigned supreme like those guys. Uh, so I think people meant the heavyweight division was was dying, which you know, I wouldn't argue that at that time, but the sport of boxing dying, no. It's one of the longest lasting major sports that we have in uh, in the world. So boxing definitely not dead, not even close.
3: Follow-up question to that. <clears throat> and a lot of people, I think with that question, like to frame it because you've seen the impact of MMA, right? Mm-hmm. Like they try to pit MMA and, and boxing. And I kind of say, I don't look at it that way, but... When, one of the things that you brought up that kind of responded to the follow up question is the the Paul brothers. How is your? How do you react? How do you react to the thoughts on celebrity boxing and those matches? Are they good for the sport of boxing? Are they bad for the sport of boxing? Is it the is it the thought process of maybe all public, all negative or good publicity? Or is all the same publicity? It's still publicity gets the name of boxing out there. How how do you? How would you? Uh... I like it, but I like it, but I
1: don't. Uh, and I'll answer the question two ways. Um, for a casual fan, like the the Paul brothers are bringing in, it's like the crossover appeal. They're bringing in fans that honestly probably didn't care about boxing beforehand. And now they're following the sport a lot more because these two guys are uh, for partnerships possibly. But what I do not like about it is, um, it's taking away from guys that, who actually do it for a living. Who actually, they their livelihood depends on boxing. And there's guys that are two and zero or three and zero looking to find a spot on these cards, and they can't because Chad Johnson is gonna is gonna go, go from the football field to the boxing ring. So he's taking a slot and money from a guy that um, is is um, does it for a living essentially. So. I like it, but I don't. I'll, I'll say that I like it, but I don't. Yeah, with
2: that, then, what would be, like, your favorite boxing match, then, either all-time or anything like that? Yo, can you can
1: you say that again, please?
2: Yeah, uh, what's your favorite boxing match, like, all-time?
1: Ooh, favorite boxing match all-time? I'd say um, either Bernard Hopkins versus Kelly Pavlik. Who's an Ohio guy? Kelly's from from Youngstown. That was a that was a great fight. Uh, but then also I like Mayweather versus De La Hoya because that was actually, even though Floyd was already on on his high horse before that, but that's what really made him the the start of the pay per view king essentially. So um, I I I love those two fights. I actually can go down the list of like my favorite fights, but those would be the top two that. Um, that I appreciated
0: the most. Yeah, those both of those fights was definitely heavy hitters, man. Yeah, and, uh, especially the the that Mayweather and and, and that Mayweather fight is definitely one of my favorite ones too.
3: Yeah. Um.
0: So here's the here's one another one for you. Who's the best boxer in the world that the world doesn't know yet?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I like Jaron Ennis from philadelphia he's i think he's 18 and 0 or 15 and oh his nickname is boots like he's going to be uh, a very good uh a very good pro uh i would say errol spence jr who's from dallas but you know the world essentially knows errol uh based off of you know the car accident or like now he's fighting manny pacquiao
3: things i was when i was looking at some of the um, going like doing some research on you one of the things that came up was, and I was—it's definitely a, a congratulations for that. I didn't know, but in 2016, you had the Forbes magazine name you the—it's uh, on its uh, 30 under the 30 under 30 list. Right. How important was that recognition for you? Um, well, honestly, man, you, I left—I left it out of the
1: introduction because I'm 34 now, so I don't—I don't bring it up anymore because I'm—I'm not under 30. But, uh, man, funny story with that, I, I saw the magazine one time. I was in the airport, and I saw, uh, I think his name is Palmer Lucky or Lucky Palmer. He's with Facebook. Young guy, but he was on the cover of Forbes magazine, and it was 30 Under 30. And I was just thumbing through the magazine, and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm 28, about to be 29. It would be cool if I made this magazine or whatever. So I ended up buying the magazine, and I took it home with me. And I just, I put it in the restroom. I really didn't think too much about it after I bought it, but having it in the restroom and I saw it every day, whether it be directly or indirectly, uh, it was kind of like a seed planted in my head. Uh, so once I, uh, my, I think my lawyer nominated me, which I didn't know, but when I got the email that I was a finalist, that's when my mind went to be something uh, big for me. So I started planning different things like, OK, if I make it, this is how things may go. If I don't make it, then like this is the route that I have to take. But um, Ju- January 4th of 2016, man, I got a call from my lawyer letting me know that I was selected. And from there, like things changed. It wasn't uh, it wasn't an overnight thing, but it things changed. You know, more people approaching you with opportunities or ideas or whatever it may be my first book came out maybe a month or so later so that helped with uh sales and and marketing of course like that so um it was it was dope man it was one thing one of the things I won't ever I will never forget
0: no even though that's four years later five years later we still gonna wish you congrats for that i
1: appreciate yeah. it <laughs> yeah that's still
0: no doubt you know i always like even for me growing up i'm like yeah i want to make it to one of those positions or just be recognized like that so yeah. yeah any type of recognition is dope man it's also, i appreciate yeah.
1: it i appreciate
0: it yeah no problem man uh with you know with you from going jumping from boxing to being sports Asia to being in boxing to, to even in film at this point, you know, have you had any, like, mentors along the way that's kind of helped you or um, like, told you, like, yo, you need to go check this out because you know, this is, you know, I can picture you doing good in this field or in this area.
1: I, I wish, I'll, I'll answer it two ways. I, I wish I had a mentor when I was younger, especially I graduated college at 23 and uh, I, I dove head first into sports and entertainment. I wish I had someone that could ha- help me out or give me some advice during that time uh, because, it, I mean, the road was really rocky and I had to learn a lot of things on the fly. But to be real with you, I'm glad I didn't have someone during that time, man, because just learning on the fly, figuring things out myself and really having to look in the mirror during tough times and, like, forcing yourself to figure it out or doing more research or working harder than everyone that you think that's in competition with you. Um, I wouldn't trade that for the world. So uh, I wish I did have a mentor, but I didn't uh, during those times trying to figure things out. People really didn't come until later on. Like my relationship with Jay Prince, like that was after, I think that was after like three books, I believe it was. And after Forbes, I had already pretty much, I think I already sold my company uh, once I I got with uh, Jay Prince. And Jay's been amazing for me uh, this juncture in in my life. But, um, in my twenties, man, it was really just me figuring out things on the fly and asking a bunch of questions, probably being annoying to a lot of people, but, um, I was just trying to get ahead, man. Just trying to learn whatever I could to, to make moves.
2: Yeah. Uh, with that, with all the writing the books and all this, the mentor stuff, what are lessons that you know now that you wish you
1: would have known before any of this happened? Good question, man. Um, I wish I would have known a lot more about like taxes. (laughs) Uh, I wish I would have known a lot more about taxes. Um, You ain't the only one, brother. (laughs) Yeah, bro, I know, right? (laughs) I think that's everybody. I think that's everybody. Um, But then also, um, how important it is to have like a blueprint of what direction that you're going, man. Like I was learning on the fly, but I really didn't have a plan. I just had, like, you know, I, I want to do this, figure out how to do it. I think if I would have just sat down, like, and wrote on a piece of paper, like, where I wanted to be or different steps or things of that nature, I think I would have been better off. It's just with me, I, I think it in my head, or I see it in my head, and I just go for it without writing it down. So uh, I'm 34 and now, I'm starting to forget a lot of things. And honestly, if if I wouldn't have got the email from you guys, I would have forgot about, the podcast i appreciate y'all that appreciate y'all sending that but i wish i would have wrote more things down um, when the journey first started um and it really would have helped me uh probably expedited a couple of things uh to where i'm at right now man so i wish i would have wrote more things down at a, at a younger age
3: that is definitely interesting i think we <clears throat> everyone has when you're looking in retrospect know kind of like i wish i had did this or, i wish i had did that just you know hindsight's always 20 right? 20 right right so mm-hmm. let me ask you this we we'll switch gears a little bit what's the dream fight you wish would have happened hmm dream fight i wish that would have happened that didn't happen that you wish would have happened whether it be rumored or whether it be something just kind of like man that would have been a great between two gladiators whether it been heavyweights down to Weatherway. like you know, you know, I really wish you know Muhammad,
1: even Muhammad in his later stage, Muhammad and Mike Tyson, you know, because Muhammad, uh, excuse me, Mike Tyson fought Larry Holmes, um, and even though he knocked Larry out or whatever it may be, but just seeing a a vintage heavyweight, a guy that was like like heavyweight royalty essentially, to see him fighting against a guy that's like a young bull that is the 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 next best thing, I would have loved to see. Muhammad Ali and Mike Tyson uh, in, the, in the ring. Um, older older Muhammad Ali, of course, I think he would have succumbed to the power of Mike Tyson and just how his lateral movement, his head movement, was. it was crazy. It was something that uh, I think the older fighters had never seen before, or if they they saw it, they were just so much older. Now the reflex is slowing down. Uh, Father time is undefeated, as you guys know. So... Uh, that would have been a dope fight to watch, though. Mike Tyson versus Muhammad Ali.
3: So is Muhammad? I mean, I'm sorry. Is Mike Tyson your favorite boxer of all time?
1: No, no, no. Ooh, he's, actually, he's actually not. He's actually not, man. Uh, my favorite boxer is either between. Um, I, I love Jermaine Taylor. Him and I both are left-handed, so I learned a lot from Jermaine Taylor, who's from from Arkansas. Um, I'm a big fan of Bernard Hopkins inside the ring, outside the ring, not so much, but inside the ring, a uh, big fan of Bernard Hopkins. And then of course, um, you know, you can't, you can't name a, a like a favorite list what I have in Floyd Mayweather and Muhammad Ali on there. So those would be my top guys. I don't think I have a favorite favorite, but those would be my top guys.
3: Not a bad list. Not a bad yeah. list. Roy <laughs> is missing, but that's not, that's a great list.
1: If I would add a top. So if I would have to name a top five or a top 10 Roy is definitely. Yeah, Roy's definitely on the list Uh, with Floyd and Roy. Those are two guys that I don't think you have a top 10 list without having them on there. Gotcha. Yeah. You you mentioned
0: being a lefty and having to learn from a lot from from hop. What's like some other things that that when it comes to boxing that um, that is hard to pick up or hard to do or just learning that or may not know from just being an audience?
1: Yeah, you know, fighting and boxing are two different things. You you can be the baddest street fighter from wherever you're from, but once you get in the boxing ring, it's totally different, man, from, from technique. Uh, people think brute strength will get you far in the sport of boxing, and honestly, it, it does not, especially if you're fighting against a technically sound uh, boxer. So, the, the most difficult thing, the most difficult transition for me personally, was learning that, okay, this is not it may be a fight, but this is really a chess match with your hands and, and, your, and your mind because you go in with a mindset that you have in the street to where, all right, I'm gonna knock this person out within the, the first round of the fight. Three minutes is a long time in a boxing ring. It's, it's an eternity. So if you go out there trying to go for broke within the first minute and you gas out and the other person is keeping their composure and watching you miss punches, takes a lot out of you, and you probably won't make it out of the first round if you come in with the anger and the brute strength. So learning that uh, when you're boxing, it's totally different from fighting, and you have to keep your composure, keep your discipline, and uh, you have to really play chess uh, inside the boxing ring, man. But it's, I think it's one of the most difficult sports. Um, I I trained a little bit of MMA, and uh, I didn't find it to be as difficult uh, as boxing, but boxing is probably the hardest sport to, to cross over and make an adjustment to and be successful in the sport.
2: Yeah. With that, um, with the, the boxing and the managing part, what was that transition like from going from
1: the boxing and then now managing and being in charge of uh, the boxers? Well, you know, I, I actually had no plans to be on the business side of boxing. I, I was intrigued but I didn't think that it was going to like go that way. I honestly had plans to be the, the, the best NBA agent in, in the world when I was 23 years old. And I got certified at 24, and that was my focal point. But boxing just kept pulling me, man. And there was just more people that needed help or needed advice. And before I knew it, I was representing uh, – I think Jerry Belmontes was 11 and oh, he was undefeated at the time and he was a free agent. He was just dropped from one of the best promotional companies in boxing, which was top rank. And, you know, I was managing him. So I had a lot of leverage and a lot of people wanted to talk to me about what was his next move. So I essentially I I pretty much a Ferrari fellow. I barely knew how to drive and I barely knew anything about. The, the street is just a Ferrari fell in my lap and everyone wanted to either drive it or be in the passenger seat or at least just have access to it, man. So Jerry helped his stature and who he was as a fighter helped me transition um, to become a boxing manager and actually make a lot of noise at such a young age. But I had something to sell. It wasn't just me coming in and like really scratching from the total bottom. I was at the bottom, but I was in a really, really nice car at the bottom and i had to figure out things from
3: from there now one of the things you brought up something just really interesting you went from boxing being a boxer and then you went from to mma and a lot of people like to like i said earlier like to pit mma versus boxing right how was that transition like how did that how was that? Like, what misconceptions do people have about that transition from boxing to Well, well I just, I just, I, I did a little MMA training. I didn't actually get into
1: octagon. And that's something, I'm not. Going, no, no, no. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to get into octagon. Uh, <laughs> I was an amateur fighter in college. And then once I graduated, um, I went to live with CJ Miles. He was living in Utah playing for the Jazz at the time. And my focal point was sports agent, basketball. I didn't care about boxing or anything else. Um, so the, Honestly, it wasn't hard from going from boxing to uh, representing the fighters. The the most difficult thing was like letting go of the dream of what I wanted from an NBA sports agent standpoint. I'm going to have to set that aside and eventually I had to completely let it go because boxing became like my everything, essentially. So um, I wouldn't say the transition was difficult. It was hard letting go of what my initial like goal and my dream was and no, that's why now I'm just I'm so open to things man because you really never know how it's gonna go I I although I fought in college and I love boxing I, Jerry Belmont actually came to watch me fight one night and we took a picture after the fight I, no way we used to see each other at the club man he used to he used to be at the club with his girlfriend and Everyone knew who he was. I was in college. So we would always cross paths and always show respect to each other, man. But if you would have told either of us, like, hey, in the next five years, you guys are going to be working together and you're going to like fight for a world title and go on and make lots of money, I would have been like, bro, this person is crazy. You know what I'm saying? And for it to happen the way that it did, man, it's something out of a movie or a book. I never could have like planned this myself. So um, I just... I'm open to whatever, man. I don't try to put myself in a box. Just I'm open to, to whatever, cause I understand weird, strong blows. You just gotta be, you gotta be ready for it.
3: How was that pivot going from dropping? Like what's the main thing? Like if, if someone's listening out here and maybe not, it's not boxing, but maybe it's trying to go from a professional career to a moving into the business world. Mm-hmm. What what are some keys to making that pivot that helped you transition from letting go of the dream to going to the business side?
1: To be honest, man, I, I just have this um I have this by any means necessary mindset. Like that that's what helped me out, like by any means necessary. And of course, you know that that's a uh, a term that's coined, but like that was my mindset, yo, by any means necessary. So it was difficult letting go of one thing and then like having to transition and focus on something else. But, um, like once I kind of sat back and saw things in my head of how things, how I wanted things to go, but then most importantly, now you're in the, the business of representing another person, like they're putting their career in your hand. So I'm thinking of things in my head, but I'm really focusing on what this fighter wants, where he wants to be. He has a son, uh, he has a kid on the way. He has a wife. He has a family. So uh, I had to really get my mind wrapped around where he wants to be. And I had to map things out of how I could help get him there. I think for any sports agent or any boxing manager, um, think of um, I'm the chauffeur. It's, it's my job to get the athlete to the dance safely. So I always told my client, like, look, bro, I'm going to have I'm going to make sure you in the nice car. I'm going to make sure we get there safely. I'm going to make sure we get there in style. I'm going to walk you to the door and I'm going to open the door, but I can't walk in and dance with you or help you dance or make you dance. Once you get in here, you have to dance yourself and you have to make things happen for you. So I always looked at myself as like the chauffeur for the athletes. my job to get them there safely and in style, but I can't dance for you.
3: That's great.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think that's a, the perfect analogy. You know, there's only so much that you can do. And that's a certain point of up to you to kind of do the rest. And it's like the perfect, the perfect hand up, hand, hand up to to the to perfect pass or to a perfect score. Um, so what, so I know you've written, so you've written five books. Right? I know I have, we have some of these books.
1: Oh, word, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, wife, wifey
0: looking out. So, word. You, know, you know, big fan, big supporter. So, how, what, what made you get into writing books, man?
1: Um, honest, like I said, man, it's my mind, bro. I was on a plane, go- I was on a plane going to Salt Lake City, Utah to see my, uh, my ex-girlfriend at the time. And I was just in the air and I'm like, yo, this entrepreneur's um, journey is crazy, like I should write a book, you know. You all of you guys have probably said that before. I should write a book about this. Like I had that thought, and then I was sitting on the plane. I, I, I this is this is the time I did end up like putting out a pen and, and a piece of paper. I kind of wrote down what I wanted to do or what I wanted to name the book, and everything just started to come to me pretty pretty quickly, man. So um, yeah, I just I thought of it, and I was like, forget it. I'm gonna just do it, and. Um, what's crazy about that story, I get to Utah and um, I had a meeting the next day. So I hired a driver to take me to the meeting and he picked me up from my, my ex's house. Her name is Tiffany. And we he drives me downtown. I have the meeting and the meeting kind of goes over. So I held him up a little bit. So I stopped. I had him stop at this, um, this gas station. I wanted to give him a tip. So while we're on the way to the gas station, I'm on the phone with uh, one of my good friends. His name is Bleak. And I'm telling him about the book idea. I'm like, man, I want to write this book. I just don't know how I'm going to do it or how to get started. I've never wrote a book before, but like, I'll figure it out. So I go in the gas station, get the tip. So when he drops me back off at Tiffany's house, he was like, hey, I'm not supposed to do this. But like, I'm a I'm an author, but I'm also an editor. Um, I can help you with your book if you're really serious about it. He gave me his card and um the card had a 214 number on it. So we're in Utah, but that's a Dallas area code. And I'm like, wait, this dude is from Dallas also. So I gave him a call later on that day and we hit it off, man. So each of those books you're holding, uh, plus the recent one I just wrote, like he's literally been my editor. He, he's held me down through five books, man. And it all came from me having a conversation in a, in a car about possibly writing a book, but it started in my head. So that's how I got five books down, man. I just, I thought of it, said I should do it, did it, but I I met someone along the way who held my hand through that entire thing process. So um, it it was dope how it all came together.
0: That is pretty dope. Do you have a a favorite out of the books that you've written so far?
1: Ooh, probably probably Dark Horse, Uh, my memoirs as a boxing manager. Yeah. 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 That's probably the favorite because I I actually just retired from boxing management uh, last year. So um, there were a lot of stories in there, man, that I think people, you know, you see sports agents or whatever and you know, okay, they negotiate the contracts for the athlete. They don't really give you deep backstories on like the BS that goes on (laughs) behind the scenes of being a sports agent. So for me, I'm like, man, boxing management has been crazy. Like some of the stories that happened, like sometimes it was just me and another person. I'm like, bro, if no one else was here, I don't think anybody would believe what just happened. Well, I brought up Bernard Hopkins earlier, and um, when I announced that I was starting Protect Yourself at all times, uh, Bernard actually flew to Dallas to meet with me And he stayed here for two days, man. We chopped it up about life, about boxing. Like it was an amazing experience to have a legend like that. Think so much of me and my initiative, man. But when it came time to him him to actually kind of walk with me on the initiative, um, everything he talked about, he kind of backpedaled on a lot of things. So um, I wrote about that experience. I wrote about experiences with Jay Prince invited me to his uh, his private island in Belize and uh, (laughs) I didn't know you had to, like, you can't just fly into Belize and then go to his island. You had to fly into Belize City and then there was another flight, (laughs) like another plane that would take you to the island. But that flight was more expensive than the round trip flight. I think it was like $1,500 for like the private plane to take me 15 minutes to his island. So I was like, damn, I really want to go. But at the time, my Brian got, I got 1,500 to spend on a 15-minute flight. Like, I, I can't do it. Um, but, yeah, there was so many stories, man, that I have in there. So Dark Horse is by far my my uh, my favorite book.
2: Yes, that's good. So what are any, like, misconceptions um, that people listening or viewing this? Like, there's any misconceptions you want to tell them about, like, being a sports agent? Oh, yeah,
1: a lot of misconceptions. Like, from the NBA standpoint, just because you love the game of basketball and um, you think that you'll be a great sports agent, one, if you don't know any NBA players, if you don't have any NBA friends, hosts, or you don't know any college players for that matter, or even like standout high school players, if you don't know anybody, uh, you may want to pump your brakes on trying to get in so soon. But then on top of that, if you're going to be independent, like not working with a certain company, then you better have millions of dollars behind you because they, the, the players don't start getting paid essentially into the fall. So uh, the, the draft is usually in the springtime and then you got summer workouts or whatever. Like these guys are going to want nice cars, maybe a house, maybe they're going to want jewelry or whatever it may be agent you got to bankroll that you have to make sure that they're good with the nfl side of things i think you pretty much invest 30 grand to get guys ready for the draft and you don't get that money back that's not something that is going to come back to you from the athlete you're showing them your good faith of look we're going to pay for you to get ready for the draft, and it's something that's not going to come back to you um so the misconception is that it's okay getting licensed and taking the tests like that can be relatively easy, but man, if you don't have the money or if you don't have the relationships, you'll just have the certificate and you'll be able to tell people, like, yeah, I'm a sports agent, but no, I, I lived with an NBA player. Um, although I wasn't his licensed like agent, I lived with the player and I was given opportunities by other guys. But when it came time to actually um, sign guys, like the things that they needed, the things that the families needed. I'm like, wait, I don't, I don't have, I don't have the type of monies. Yeah. I can just become an agent and take over things, but no, nah, you didn't have the money or the relationships. Yeah. It's going to be a impossible uphill battle.
3: So Adrian, do you have a story similar to the, the Jay Prince stories you told us uh, with the boxing, like how you had to go? How you didn't know you can just fly into Belize and just kind of <laughs> you have one like that on the NBA side. I know you spent a lot of time there, too. Do you have any good NBA stories that you can tell without getting yourself in trouble without you? Know, I'm, I'm trying
1: to think. I'm trying to think. I'm trying
3: to
1: think.
3: <laughs> I don't want to know. No bridges burned. But
1: yeah, a story yeah, like yeah. I'm trying to really think, man. Um, OK, I'll, I'll say this. Um, My boy, who's now the associate head coach of the New York Knicks, uh, Johnny Bryant, um, he at the time was living in Utah. He was uh, he had his own skills academy. Um, So I was looking and it's just funny how all this happened together, man. Um, Johnny wanted me if I was looking to sign Tony Mitchell in 2012, Tony Mitchell ended up being the second round pick of the Detroit Pistons. So I had this mindset of, okay, sign Tony and taking to Utah to work out with Johnny and Johnny will get him ready and make them more versatile for the draft. So flying to Utah, I'm hanging out with Johnny. So Johnny takes me to Utah Jazz facility. He's working out Paul Millsap and his brothers. Marvin Williams had just got traded to the Jazz. So Marvin's on one side of the court working out, going through individuals, and then Johnny's on the other side of the court taking the Millsap brothers through workouts pretty much auditioning for me. So I'm sitting there kind of just watching both workouts or whatever, because I knew I knew of Marvin Williams. Marvin ended up coming up to me in the, between his workout and introduced himself or whatever it may be. And he wanted to know who Johnny was. He wanted to know like, who's got to work out with in Utah. So, and this is, I always kind of get chills like telling the story. Before we left the facility, I told Johnny like, hey, Marv wanted to know who you who you were or whatever it may be. And he was out for real. He was like, Yo, I should go back in and introduce myself or whatever. I'm like, yeah, go ahead, do your thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna go on, on the phone call with Tony and see where we're at. While I'm on the phone call with Tony, Tony's giving me bad news that he's not gonna sign with me, that he's gonna go with CAA, which is a larger agency. So I'm I'm holding the phone, um, like in the parking lot, just getting bad news, like, come on, man. Johnny comes out smiling ear to ear and he's like, yo, bro, thank you so much for chopping it up with Marv, man, but get this, the Utah Jazz are interested in hiring me as a coach, man, so like, yo, us just being here, I not only got another contact with a player, but I think I'm gonna start coaching for the Jazz, so even though, like, I didn't sign Tony and um, I didn't really get anything out of that, but just being there and seeing Johnny's career, like, take off based off of something he was looking to do for me, like that was crazy. And then my relationship with Marvin Williams just grew over the years to where he became an investor and helped out with one of the world title fights that I was a part of just that one day and having like those three entities in one place, man, it was just powerful. So so now to see Johnny's the associate head coach, Marvin's retired or whatever it may be, but I'm saying still a, a business partner essentially, It's just funny how the world works, man, and how things come about. But that was one of the craziest stories I had. Um, Not quite like the island, but that was a crazy story I had from the NBA because now both of those guys are light years of where they were at at that particular time. So that was a really dope story no that that
0: is a dope story and i'm looking at i'm looking at everyone involved in the party in that story differently now so i keep i'm gonna keep my eyes on the guy in new york too Uh, (laughs) i definitely
3: know my brother will as well yeah anytime you get messed you can get connected to thibs like like that's being a chicago bull and chicago uh chicago bulls fan and growing up in there and you know, we for people that has been down, so the Thibs and the Derrick Rose and those guys, we mm-hmm. have a fondness in our hearts. So anyone attached to Thibs automatically gets a seal of approval in my book, except for Jim Boylan. But we're not gonna talk about that. <laughs> Had to shoot fire.
0: <laughs> yeah, we don't. We're not gonna slander Jim Boylan today, but we say that another day. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that takes care of this first portion of our interview. So now we're gonna transition into our, our rapid fire round, which we call the game within the game. So it's just a, a couple of questions we kind of ask you like either or, and just to get your um your your opinion or, or your responses. We have like a kind of like a scoreboard on our side of like the running tallies of what people have said and what people have responded. But anyway, so my question for you is, are you ready to play? Yeah. All right. So we're gonna start off like. We'll start with some simple, some slight. Are you a TV show person or movies? TV movies. shows or movies? Movies, movies. yeah, movies. Movies, yeah. What's your favorite movie of all time?
1: Training Day. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> all right, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
3: <But> my God.
0: <laughs> Mark, what's your favorite? Mine.
3: Favorite. Yeah. See, I'm too much I'm I'm like like I'm a movie junkie, so it depends on what you know I, I can go like sci-fi action, mm. you know, like I it just depends on what realm you, you're in. So you know so you gotta give me a category that I can give you my favorite movie.
0: No, I can't give you a category. B can you give him a category?
3: I give you a sports category, sports podcast. sports category. Sports, favorite sports movie has to probably be Remember the Titans. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's between that. It's between that and honestly. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to uh, the most quoted movie or the most impactful movie for me. would has to be Remember the Titans. So. Absolutely. Mm. I could I, I could go. Yeah. More, yeah, it's got to be that. Above yeah. the, above the
1: rim is mine for uh, for sports i and i can't be i can't be mad at that either <laughs> yeah i gotta go i gotta go to the, the real like white white men can't jump
3: i can't go that's another one can't be that's mad classic. at that yeah, that's a classic I, cannot be mad at that either yeah, yeah. i just think because i got kids and they you know it just <laughs> <I'm> blaming <laughs> on the kids
2: <laughs> uh, sorry um, next question we have is uh, chocolate chip cookies or oatmeal cookies? Chocolate chip. Chocolate chip without a doubt. No. Chocolate chip cookies are good. I could go for a, an oatmeal raisin here or there.
1: Uh, nah, you yeah. hate <laughs> raisins, man. So mixing raisins in with cookies, nah, I just can't. I can't get down with it. Definitely chocolate
3: chip. Desmond, was your chocolate chip or was yours oatmeal? How how'd you
0: I, I I'm I'm an oatmeal person. So, but I look, I I I um I'll definitely go and cook some good chocolate chip cookies. Matter of fact, I was eating some chocolate chip cookies earlier today. So <laughs> I, I I'm gonna pick oatmeal raisins, but I'll definitely be cheating on oatmeal with chocolate chip.
3: <laughs> Ready, you said you more of an oatmeal?
2: Yeah, I mean, I can do chocolate chip all the time, but if there's oatmeal raisin there in the mix, I kind of go for it because sometimes it's not. I don't get it all that often, so I kind of want to. Sometimes when I get that chance, I'll I'll take it.
3: Yeah, I'm like Adrian. I'm I'm chocolate chip. The only time of oatmeal I'm going to touch is them oatmeal cream pies. Like those are. Bro, exactly, like, bro. Like <laughs> we have like I got four boys, and we go through like the big humongous box in like three days. Yeah, so it's it's crazy. <laughs> um. My question for you is: This is an either or. Mike Tyson or Evander Holyfield. Oh, Mike! Mike! Mike is just
1: aside from him fighting, like his his knockout ability. It's just his personality, like outside the ring. From from controversial Mike to cool Mike to intellectual Mike to uh, I always like to say philosophizer Mike. Like, bro. <laughs> He just give you so many different angles, man, that you gotta go with Mike.
3: Absolutely, yeah, I'm with you on, I'm with you. If I had to pick, I pick Mike just for all those same reasons you gave, I I, I think Evander's one of the most underrated boxers of all time. Agreed. Because he's, you know, he didn't have the, the necessary knockout power that Mike did, but he was, he could just take a beating. Yeah. And it somehow just, it went up, be ahead on points. so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what about you two? What about Des and, and Brady?
2: You know, I'm not too big into fighting. I don't know too much about the backgrounds either one of these, but just because I know Mike Tyson more, I think I'd go on that
3: direction. Gotcha. That's...
0: I'm, thinking,
1: I'm
3: thinking Mike. Yeah, I, I said can't be wrong with that. Can't can't yeah. go wrong with that one at all.
2: I'm going to either or here for you. Um, Roy Jones Jr. or
1: Floyd Mayweather. Oh man. Ah. Uh. That's a damn good question. Um, uh, I got it. Why well, you have to ask me that? Can somebody else go? Cause yo, I'm like, I think I got it. I think I got an answer. I don't know if we talk about entertainment. If it's entertainment wise, you got to go Roy. Roy's give you the most entertainment in the ring. But as far as like a guy that can just stand in front of you with his hands down and you can't hit him at all. It's, I got to go Roy, I got to go Roy Jones Jr. Right, if I had to pick who to watch, it's Roy Jones for sure.
3: Absolutely Roy Jones Jr. I, I met Roy when I was living in Vegas for four years. The dude pulled up to the barbershop at eight o'clock in the morning in the gold limo and sat down right next to me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and for two hours, we had like a dope conversation. He was so, so such a down to earth cat, so. Yeah. Absolutely, is Roy Jones Jr. There's no disrespect to Floyd. Yeah. Uh, Floyd. I also had a run in with Floyd in Vegas too. Uh, I can tell you all about that off wax. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a, a off wax conversation. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I had a I, had a, I, I ran into Floyd too. Uh, but no, but Roy Jones. Roy Jones Jr. Like that was that was my Superman um, in the early 2000s. So absolutely,
0: Dez. I'm going Roy Jones, man. I grew up watching like Roger Roy, so it was always a Saturday night thing. We watch, we sit down, we watch Roy Jones Jr.
1: Mm-hmm. Well.
2: I'm just yeah, i now mean, I'm going Floyd. I don't really know too much about Jones Jr. So, <laughs> but I mean I might not just shouldn't say anything. I might. Like,
3: no, Ray. So here's what you do. So you have an assignment. You have to go and look at Go on the YouTube binge and you see something what Roy Jones Jr was doing and it was crazy how fast this guy was. Yeah. Like he you see all these athletes that have turned into and not just entertainers but they went into movies. Like it, even at the height of Roy Jones Jr boxing, he was in the Matrix. Like that's how like he was that dope of an athlete that he could and he played other sports too like they had back in the day they had the rock and talk and stuff like that he could play well, all sports but he was so the dude was just a, just a phenomenal talent That like just Roy Adrian. Jones Jr. was was one of the like I said like, like Adrian said he's a if you go 10 boxes and you have a name Roy Jones Jr. your list is crap so same yeah straight
1: so, up straight up um so here we go um
0: Next question is So, are you going? So, now I know you get getting into the film, the film and stuff. So, are you do you like do you prefer the Rocky movie franchise
1: or the Creed franchise? Neither. Oh, <laughs> elaborate. I like it. <laughs> elaborate! But, let's, let's okay. All right. And I know a lot of a lot of like Rocky fans is gonna be upset, but like, just both of them were like really cheesy. Like, I and give it. Given the time that Rocky was created, I mean, you know it was it was cool during that time or whatever. But um, I've yet to see a boxing movie that I get it. It's Hollywood, so everything is Hollywood. It's not real. It's um, it's a depiction essentially of you know like things that were based off of whatever. Um, I think Rocky's story was based off of uh, Chuck Webner, um, um, former professional boxer who wasn't really good and they, they kind of mix some things in to, to make it like he was just this um, amazing fighter but I, I've yet to see a boxing movie that felt real where it's like I left the theater I finished watching and thinking that was like spot on so from the Rocky movies to the Creed movies to the movie Southpaw with um, I can't think of the guy's name Jake something Jake Zornal yeah exactly even that was really cheesy it was really cheesy done so um, impressive at the end of the day i don't want like to i don't like to talk down on anybody's work but from me being a boxing guy inside the ring and then being on the business side and now i like, kind of like i'm behind the camera i'm not a fan of the rocky movies i watched all of them and i'm like people actually like this and then i watch creed and i'm like this is no better <laughs> at all, so I'm not a fan of either, man. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna throw my hat in on that one. I'm not a fan of either series.
3: Either. Wow. I was not expecting that. <laughs> Yeah,
1: I, I definitely wasn't
3: expecting that. I expecting that. <laughs> I'm, was speechless. I get it, though. I get it. Don't worry yeah. about the Rocky picture in the background. Don't worry. I, I saw that. I, I saw I was going to say something,
1: but I left it alone, I
3: saw that. That oh, no, was all good. I mean, I thought it was a dumb quote, but yeah. <laughs> I, <it>. I absolutely <laughs> For those who have been in I I've I've known a couple of boxers and, and now now I know another one. So for those who have they all you it's it's usually unanimous. Those who have been in the ring you despise Rocky and despise any boxing movie because they, <laughs> they can't, they can't. Not you know, say it's not. It's not real. You know, it's not even close to me. Doesn't even look real. Like if you and if you go back and look, like the Rockies don't hold up. Like you, you like the punches are five feet away. You see the heck. Yeah, yeah. That's not. That's not. (laughs) Now Michael B. Jordan did get knocked out. like doing right stuff. Like he was really trying to make it look as real as possible. But possible. Right. Right. But it's still no. It's not. It's not. So I get it. I for I again all respect due for those who have been in the ring because that's not a. That's not an easy thing whatsoever.
1: Hey.
3: At all, man. At all. One of the things that you just mentioned, though, because I don't think we really talked about it much, your movies. Like, you said you're getting behind this, like, you're getting behind the, um, you know, behind the film and behind the camera. Mm-hmm. What are some projects that you're trying to get involved in that you can talk about, or not even this yeah. talk about, but what things are, that kind of inspire you to get to do that?
1: So, I actually just, um, on, my, on my YouTube page, I, I just created protect yourself at all times YouTube page. And, um, you know, I, I've actually been in filmmaking e- essentially because the first document I've done all the projects myself. So, um, my first project was Adrian Clark, um, before the bell. And it was like given, um, uh, an angle of a boxing manager before the fight happens. And then we did some stuff while the fight was going on and, then after the fight with my client and myself, but uh, you know I did all of that. You know with the production team, seven-part series that Everlast Worldwide, the glove, the boxing glove company, they sponsored, and um, I had Evander Holyfield's son, uh, Evan Holyfield. He featured uh, Willie Monroe Jr., former world title challenger, Derek James, who's currently. Uh, trainer for Errol Spence Jr. and uh, and Jamal Charlo. Uh, But I was just breaking down to the fighters and general public um, how the boxing business is. Most people, they just, you just want to see a fight. The only thing you know is a fight, but there's so many dynamics that go into making a fight happen. And if you have any interest in, like, sports management or the sports entertainment side, the business side of things, then you'll be interested in and protect yourself at all times. And then the the series that that I did, it's a seven part series. And I I go through talking about the boxing manager process. And I I took one of my friends. American, and now she's uh, in accounting, but we had her um, apply for a boxing manager's license through the state of Texas. Now, she knows nothing about the sport of boxing. And as you see on the, when you watch the video, I asked her certain questions that most boxing people would know. If you're in the business of the sport, you have to know these questions. And she had no clue, but the state of Texas still licensed her as a boxing manager. She didn't have to take a test. There was no background check. She just sent in an application and a hundred dollars and the state of Texas sent her a license to become a boxing manager. So who they may have a college degree, but in regards to the ethics of business in that p- particular genre, they know nothing about the sport. They know nothing about the ethics. They know nothing about the negotiation process, but yet they're still licensed to negotiate and put athletes under contract. Uh, so I depicted that in, in episode three and uh, I'm pretty sure it blew a lot of people away because it's like, yo, this girl is beautiful. And, yeah, she's educated and, you know, all those things, but she knows nothing about boxing. But yet and still the state of Texas, the boxing commission still uh, licensed her when she knows nothing about the sport um, and has no plans to know nothing about the sport. It just we did it for, uh, you know, I like I like ruffling feathers. So from from a filmmaker standpoint, man, because uh, I'm, I'm actually doing my first independent film in the fall. And like it's going to ruffle a lot of feathers. I can't go deep into detail on it, but that's the type of, uh, if I get deep in this thing as far as filmmaking goes, I'm going to ruffle feathers. And um, I have to do everything independently because trying to partner with someone, they're like, oh, no, no, we don't want to cross that bridge or we don't want to make this person mad. And for me, I'm like, I don't care. Like, like what's the, in my head, it's like, oh, what's, the, what's, what's the worst that can happen? Or like, what are they going to do to me once they see this, depiction of this angle or whatever and as long as I'm not uh, no defamation of character as long, as long as I'm not like talking down or, or making up fictitious things about somebody uh, my art is my art man so my my films are going to be probably really controversial and I'm going to ruffle some feathers but whatever
0: I'm here for all of it <laughs> <laughs>
3: It's like I'm at a, like I'm at a match, just eating popcorn, just watching. So. Right, right.
1: I think that's what that's what made I think that's what made Spike Lee so great. Cause it's like you go against the grain of of what pe- what what people want to see, so to speak. And you know, he he touched on like racial divide and different things that were going on during the time of like the early 80s, late 80s, early 90s, he depicted those things. John Singleton did a great job with boys in the hood. Uh, the Hughes brothers did a great mm-hmm. job with, um, ah. Man, that's a society. Thank you. Thank you. You got me. So it's like, they did an amazing job by, like, going against the grain and not softening things up and showing exactly how it is. That's my mindset when it comes to, to filmmaking. I, I appreciate that.
0: Like I said, I'm here for all of it.
1: For. Word. <laughs> Word.
2: <laughs> So one of the final questions we're getting here with the rapid fire um section is if you get to take over any organization or a team, which one would you take over? And it could be in any professional sports. It's a great question.
1: Um, you know, I'm a Texas guy, man. I'm like Dallas is home for me, but I'm really big on the state of of Texas. So I would have to say the one team that I would take over. I can't say that. I can't. Say that. It'll have to be the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, I'm a big. Ba- I'm a big basketball fan. I- Cuban
3: to the curve. Yeah. I'm, yeah.
1: I gotta. I'll have to do basketball because honestly, I, I feel like Texas has. We have a lot of great players that come out of the state of Texas, and a lot of them end up becoming free. I feel like the, the Mavericks don't do a good job of centering in on the the hometown guys so, you no know, you know mark does a great job of uh donnie excuse me donnie does a great job of, of pulling in the right players i mean to trade for luca i was i'm not a mavericks fan but i was hoping because like, i watched that kid through throughout his circuit overseas and i kept saying like yo this dude is I was really pleased to see that they traded up to 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 get him in the in the draft. Uh, but you know, Dallas, the Mavericks are essentially becoming an overseas team. It's like most of the the marquee players are from um, from the European market or or the, the overseas market. So I would look to make Dallas a hotbed, man, to where it's like you know guys want to go play in Miami or LA, to or even Atlanta for that matter. But I, uh, to build a team that would make Dallas. Uh, a place where free agents will want to come. I, th- I think Mark would appreciate that. <laughs>
3: Absolutely. Like, that's my second team is the Mavs, so uh, and he's right. Luca is that dude. Um, that's a cold-blooded That's dude. a cold <laughs> Man. And think about it, he doesn't look like he should be as good as he is, but he is. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> he <laughs> looks like a- your neighbor that cuts
1: <laughs> the grass. <laughs> and, uh, I've, seen, I've seen a few guys recently that look that favor him or whatever, and I'm like, bro, Luca's walking dogs for a, a living now. Man. He doesn't look like a hooper, but bro, you get him on that court, man, and he's been pro since he was, what, 14, 15 years old. So like he said, like scoring in the NBA is easy. Um, I mean, nobody really plays defense for that matter, but um, he he makes it look really easy, man. So I'm a big I'm a big fan of Luca, but y'all would like to see Dallas do more as far as the, the team goes. Gotcha.
2: So that kind of wraps up our uh, interview and our podcast for today. I uh, would like to thank you, Adrian, for joining us. Um, for the people listening and viewing this, where can they find you? And I follow you at,
1: um, on Twitter, which I'm never on Twitter, but I'm the Adrian Clark on on Twitter. Don't tweet me because I won't get it until like two months after you actually tweet me. So uh, I think I'm most active on Facebook, Adrian Clark, um, and on Instagram, uh, AC underscore Clark. Uh, I'm I'm active on those, and I respond to. DMs or whatever on those more rapidly on Twitter. I, I will never get it. But I'm also on LinkedIn, which is a little bit more professional. Um, and uh, to me, LinkedIn is just as important as uh, Facebook or, or Instagram. But um, I do a good job of, of getting back to individuals that have questions or whatever it may be. So feel free to reach out to me on uh, any of those. And, and my email address is adrian at P Y A A T dot org. Um, so yeah, reach out to me, man, and I always have my phones on me. So more than likely, I'll get back to you. If you start going, if you start asking too many questions, then I'm gonna I'm gonna either bill you for consulting or I'm gonna instruct you to get with Tashina and set up a, a consulting call. But anything that's ground level, man, I'm, I'm always gonna get back to you.
2: Yeah, thank you for that. I would like to, again, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you, Mark, for getting on with uh, Desmond and I uh, during this podcast. Um, for those listening, you can follow us on Instagram at capturing underscore the underscore game underscore pod. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at CTG underscore podcast. And you can search us up on YouTube and Facebook at Capture the Game Pod. Um, again, i like to thank you guys for joining us today. And that concludes our uh, podcast today.